0: fellowship, and love. Hello, this is international Catholic singer Anna Nuzo, inviting you to join me and Father Dan Cambra of the Marian Fathers on a select international tours Divine Mercy pilgrimage to Poland and the Czech Republic. It takes place in September of 2019, and we would love for you to join us. For more information, go to my website, AnnaNuzzo.com. Thank you, and God bless. Hello again, Chuck Coughlin, setting the record straight, once again, about the glorious and sometimes unsuspected achievements of the Catholic Church on earth. Make that underappreciated achievements. One of the achievements of the church is indeed the concept of the West, unquote, the West. The Catholic church may be primarily a spiritual body, but its its earthly component is quite amazing and quite glorious. Much as our bodies and souls, both glorious and transcendental, are each glorious in their own way and each destined for heaven at its own time. But a question has bothered me for years, and I just figured it out. But we're searching, thank God for the internet. And the question is, what are we referring to when we use the term the West? We're referring to a particular type of culture, usually thought to be Christendom and the West are synonyms. I call it Catholic doom, of course, because in origin it is primarily that. And so many other cultures and religions are referred to as Eastern, as the East. To make an example of the philosophy and religions that are referred to as Eastern, I would offer Buddhism, Zoroastrianism, even Islam. You may recall fondly as I do the series of TV shows that Joseph Campbell offered us back in the 80s addressing spiritual mythologies. He frequently used the term the West and the East, usually to point out how superior the East was over the West because we have our way of putting our own culture down, even though Joseph Campbell well knew that there were many glories of the Catholic Church and of Christians. His emphasis was on the East. So what didn't compute when we called Christianity, the West, the Christendom, doom the West was this. When I looked at my globe, what leaps out at you is the longitude and latitude lines that divides the Earth's surface into 360 degrees of latitude and 360 degrees of longitude. The Earth is divided into two hemispheres, an Eastern Hemisphere and a Western Hemisphere. And here's what puzzled me. The religions that we referring to, for instance, Islam, Zoroastrianism, Buddhism, are all commonly referred to as Eastern religions and indeed their origins are in the eastern hemisphere. The line that is marked longitude zero, zero degrees, the central point of the whole sphere, is a line running down through the Royal Observatory of Greenwich, England. Since a man named Hamilton had a lot to do with perfecting the concept of longitude, that's where it is placed. That's zero. But why why would we consider Christianity, Catholicism, the West. Christianity was originated in the Eastern Hemisphere, just like those other religions I talked about. They're all Eastern. When you look at Jerusalem, it has a longitude of approximately 32 degrees East. It's in the Eastern Hemisphere. And Muhammad originated Islam only six degrees further East in the Eastern Hemisphere. Its origin is close Its origin point is close to that of Christianity. Mecca is around 40 degrees east in the Eastern Hemisphere. Christianity was originated in Jerusalem, 32 degrees east. Gautama Buddha originated Buddhism only about 77 degrees east, not far away. In other words, a mere 45 degrees further on. Keep in mind, one degree of latitude is just about 69 miles or 111 kilometers. If you divide the circumference of the Earth, which is approximately 25,000 miles, by 360 degrees, you'll get 180 degrees of Eastern Hemisphere, 180 degrees of Western Hemisphere. I couldn't achieve a correspondence or coherence between what is always referred to as the West and Christianity and Jesus Christ being lumped in there. So where and when do we start referring to our culture as the West? our Christendom is the West. Like a lot of cultural phenomenon, you probably think, as I did, once I found out we were talking about a cultural phenomenon, that it evolved slowly over centuries or millennia. Oh no, it was invented by the Catholic Church. It was invented all at once in the year 910 AD by the Catholic Church in one fell swoop. I'm gonna explain how that happened. The West is a cultural construct. It describes Western culture, and it precedes the discovery and development of the idea of longitude by centuries. As a matter of fact, what we think of as the West and Western culture was the invention of an inspired Catholic Duke, William I of Aquitaine, in conjunction with a man named Bernot, who was the first abbot of Cluny. Bernot was subject only to the Pope, Pope Sergius III at that time. And the Abbey became notable for its strict adherence to the rule of St. Benedict. Cluny became acknowledged as a leader of Western monasticism. This wonderful act of devout Catholic generosity and invention of William I produced the fertile soil from which what we call the West, Western culture emerged and became robust. This cultural phenomenon grew and grew and unleashed a flourishing of intellectual activity known as the Scholastic Age. Maybe the greatest age of any century, the 12th century. Certainly the age of the greatest academic freedom ever experienced within universities. The beautiful flowering of the democracies such as ours came from this separation. This separation was a liberation for both sides. Both the governmental state, the dukedoms, were free to attend to secular matters, very much influenced in informal but powerful ways by the religious side. And the religious side became free to engage in the creation of science in the modern world. This liberation of philosophy and theology from the control of any secular ruler, in having a right from God, an inalienable right from God, to practice the religion that freed the mind to create the scientific method, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's the West. That's where the West came from. Year 910, Alno Domini at Cluny. Sadly gone, sadly destroyed by atheists. Now I want to spend a moment on my major mission of setting the record straight about the glorious history of our Catholic Church. If you go deep enough into history, you discover, and it's little appreciated today with our shallow versions of history, that the mother of the concepts that formed the United States, including separation of church and state, our Catholic concept. Catholicism is the mother of these ideas. The Catholic church is the parent, the spiritual mother of the best concepts of what we think of as the United States. The history that is taught in our schools And it's been repeated over and over, even recently in a long essay in the National Review. And many of the books, textbooks at schools, library books, repeat this shallow history of the United States, often presenting the completely backward and upside-down concept that the idea of America was a product of the concepts behind British Protestantism, rather than being something that has its true roots in the Catholic Church, which it does. The use of what is really British war propaganda as your basic history distorts history is a very shallow history and is exclusively British, it's really British war propaganda. I'll do more podcasts on this, but I think you realize that the usual narrative told centers on Jamestown and the Puritans as being the formation of our nation, and uh, that's laughably wrong. The Puritans had a dark character. They were the witch burners, not the Spanish Inquisition. And yes, they escaped religious persecution by coming here. It's often implied quite strongly that the oppressor was the Catholic Church. It was not. The problem was the theocratic nature of the Anglican religion, official religion of England under the king, and especially under Cromwell, under Cromwell who was a Puritan. Who, getting rid of the royalty, became a dictator, abolished the parliament and abolished the royalty. And so, when it was reestablished, the Puritans were persona non grata. They had to leave. They first went to Denmark and then they came here. And from them, we got our first celebration of Thanksgiving, supposedly first, although it was celebrated in the 1500s in St. Augustine under another name, a harvest festival, by Catholics, of course. It's amazing that the people of this nation don't know their own history. There's a book that is a bestseller that's just been published by an author that I admire greatly and I've bought a lot of his books. His name is David Horowitz. He produced a very famous book, Radical Sun." Horowitz is also the author of the very remarkable work, the multi-volume black book of the American West and really valuable histories. He's now promoting his new book, a History of the Founding of America, Dark Agenda, and The War on Christianity. If you want to hear him talk about his book, get out on YouTube. He's made lecture after lecture about his new book, and they're interesting. And here's what he says, the spirit, soul, and design of the United States is the product of Protestants, 98%, and the other 2% presumably is Jews, or which reports that these Protestants who were escaping persecution and gave rise to the separation of church and state and gave rise to all these concepts that we consider American concepts like inalienable rights and finding our foundation within British common law. British common law found its great deep roots in the Catholic Church's well-formulated and articulated canon law, a masterwork completed by Grottsus around 1000. This is well accepted at Harvard Law School. These colonies instead had established religions, established under their colonial governments, and were most intolerant of other religions, especially Catholicism. It was in the Constitution of Georgia that no Catholics were allowed on their soil. You have to point out that one of the 13 colonies was religiously tolerant. It was known as Maryland. It was religiously liberal and tolerant. The reason for that was it was set up by Catholics. is named after the Blessed Virgin Mary. Horowitz goes on and talks about the elimination of slavery as if it was a British and American early achievement. The British and Americans were very late to the game of abolishing slavery. Isabella did it in the early 1500s. It was actually done in the days when the emperors of Rome became Catholic. Constantine and after They limited slavery, gladiator games, infanticide, uh, abortion, etc., etc. Slavery reappears again and again. I call it the slavery weed. You're never entirely rid of it, and it keeps coming back. And the British, in needing slaves for their plantations in the New World, reinstituted slavery and later abolished it. They're just correcting a great mortal sin that their nation had committed. Indeed, the areas that Britain took over in the United States, like eastern Canada, they exterminated the French Catholic population, put them in boats, sent them out to various locations, made sure the families were separated on different boats. Sixty percent died on the way. They sold them into slavery in Georgia. The Arcadians, lucky enough to be deported to French Catholic areas, that's New Orleans, became the Cajuns, former Arcadians. That's not part of the history that we seem to remember. What we teach is our nation was founded by these Puritans. Well, there were very few of them. We have books and movies about the daring adventures of Lewis and Clark, who Thomas Jefferson commissioned to explore the Missouri River. The Missouri had been explored for a hundred years and was well-traveled highway, trade highway of French Catholics from St. Louis. So many of these so-called achievements were just following the well-trodden path blazed through the chaotic primitive wilderness by Catholics. I'm going to explore that subject once again in podcasts in the future. But let's return to the subject of the separation of church and state being the product of a Catholic culture that created the West, what we think of as the West as Christendom. This feature of separation of church and state was one of the most important parts of producing a true civilization, a truly modern civilization, the West. And this establishment of this order, and it was a truly Benedictine order, reforming what had been a somewhat chaotic situation, endlessly variable systems, and sometimes no commonly accepted rules and order at all, governing the monasteries. This establishment of the Benedictine order was a keystone to the stability of European society that was achieved in the 11th century. It must have been magnificent. The largest church of Basilica, really, in Christendom for 200 years until it was surpassed by St. Peter's. It was Romanesque architecture, but it's on no tour of France. It's gone. Demolished. And the individual stones carried off As if it was sort of a junkyard with spare parts for buildings. The stones were there to be robbed and used in stables and warehouses and houses. It's vanished. They did a good job of vanishing it. We don't even have a picture of it. An accurate picture has never been drawn. It doesn't exist. We have approximations. We have a, a drawing of a model Cluniac monastery, but it's not the one that was there. It was just a concept of one. The atheists did a great job of vanishing and dissolving one more aspect of our culture, our West, our Christ culture, our Catholic doom. We're always in danger of this satanic iconoclastic vanishing by the adversaries of the Catholic Church who desire to destroy it and eliminate it. Yet the Church endures. Endures is the correct verb. The Church has endured. It's still with us, and it's huge. We've had enormous setbacks, but somehow we come back. We've got to keep coming back. We're in the middle of a great recession, a great setback, a great dissolution of the Catholic Church right now, perhaps the greatest in history. We have to resist. We have to fight rear actions. We have to keep the Church alive. The Catholic Church is Christ's beloved bride on earth, Unfortunately, in 1790, there was the French Revolution. The Abbey, now viewed by these atheists as part of the ancient regime that they wanted to overthrow, was sacked and destroyed. There is no tour of Cluny because it does not exist now. It was destroyed. With only a small part of the original basilica remaining. Our hearts have been broken recently by the burning of Notre Dame de Paris, just contemplate the sacrilege that happened here. In many ways, a far greater tragedy. We do have pen drawings of it. It was an entire town. So, William I made an arrangement with Badrino, the first abbot, to free the new monastery from any secular entanglements and initiate the Cluniac reforms of monastic life. One brilliant abbot succeeded the other in a long line of brilliant monks and they all became statesmen on the international stage. And the Monastery of Cluny was considered the grandest, most prestigious, and best endowed monastic institution in Europe. The height of the Cluniac influence was from the second half of the 10th century through the early 12th. While this was going on outside the monastic structures, which had held Europe together like a skeleton, like an armature for so long, Outside those structures, the rise of English and French nationalism created a climate unfavorable to the existence of monasteries. Unfriendly, to say the least, since in England it involved the demolition of hundreds of monasteries. The new nation-states certainly had no use for an organization autocratically ruled by head residing in Burgundy. The monastery, the abbey, the little university town. Was completely destroyed in the 1800s It was sold and used as a quarry until 1833. Today, if you go there, only one of the original eight towers remains of so the whole monastery. There are modern archaeological excavations going on since 1927. So I brought you today a strange, almost forgotten story about some great magnificence brought to the earth through God's grace flowing through the Catholic Church. It's like the nostalgic dreams of Camelot, poignant and lost. It was one of history's grandest moments, the invention of the West in the year 910 A.D., where in a place called Cluny, they built an abbey and really a university town that quickly grew to be home to the largest church in Christendom. This was before St. Peter's in Rome was completed. And it remained the largest church in Christendom for over 200 years. Well, I'm sure you know the meaning of the word abbey. It can refer to a church. But generally, it goes beyond that to refer to a grouping of buildings that constitutes the housing and other necessary buildings for a society of Catholic monks or nuns who live under a specific religious rule. Well, at Cluny, the rule the monks lived under was that of St. Benedict of Nursia, who had, in the 6th century, advocated a life divided between prayer, rest, study, and work. What was it about this happening that made it different? What it was was a true separation of church and state for the first time. This was the great inspiration of William I, Duke of Aquitaine. This site where he built this abbey originally belonged to him, and it was his favorite hunting lodge. Now, in the Middle Ages, a duke often wielded much more power and authority than a king because the dukes held sway over the provinces and power was decentralized. The dukes were often richer than the kings. So William I gave up his beautiful home and we say hunting Lodge, but it was more of a palace. And he also gave the vast lands that surrounded it. He gave it to the monks and he would no longer have any claim or authority over it, So it which is great inspiration to create a true separation of church and state. That had happened before, of course, with the collapse of Rome by default, uh, but gradually the various dukes assumed more and more control over the monasteries and wanted to appoint the abbots and use secular authority to determine religious rules and regulations. Well, this was a reformation. The founding by William First, Duke of Aquitaine in 910, of a magnificent cluny was a huge turning point in history. It is amazing and a bit discouraging that there's so much forgotten history that is vitally important in order to understand ourselves. He turned authority over to the church in person of the abbot. And the abbot had a certain degree of independence from the pope, but the pope still had his primacy. What resulted was a working balance A dynamic balance, bending a bit back and forth in a flexible yet ordered way of the Catholic Church against the nation-states and kingdoms and dukedoms, and set them free from the defect known as Caesaropapism, where Caesar rules the Pope, as so often happened in history over and over again. You could even say the origin of some of the basic concept of our United States of America, Goes back to Cluny 910 Anno Domini and William I, the Catholic Duke who gave most of what he possessed on earth to the monks, the monks at Cluny. I want to include the Cluniac prayer. They had an official prayer. It went like this. "O God, by whose grace your servants, the holy abbots of Cluny, kindled with a flame of your love became burning and shining lights in your church. Grant that we also may aflame with a spirit of love and discipline and walk before you as children of life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy spirit, one God now and forever. I hope I've done a little more today to bring to our consideration. One of the glorious achievements of the Catholic Church in creating what we think of as the West. And you see it all around us in the best aspects of our culture. On Breadbox Media, this is Chuck Coughlin setting the record straight. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough Vehicle at KaneFord.com.